I know Riley struggled with the microphone, but he's just so darn cute, isn't he? Yes. You just got to feel for the guy. Hey, we're, we're glad you're here today. Uh, hey, a couple of things that, that Riley didn't touch on <clears throat> that I wanted to touch on real quickly. If, you are a, uh, if you're involved in our seniors group, uh, the, the senior adult ministry, they're going to be meeting this Thursday at 1130 is their monthly get-together, and they ask that you bring a side if you're planning on coming to that. Meat's going to be provided. And I know a lot of people have been kind of waiting for life groups to be launching again. That's going to be coming right around the corner. We're getting ready to start a brand new message series after uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So we'll be telling you a little bit more information about that over the next couple of weeks and how you can sign up. But uh, just be thinking about that because we really love for you to get uh, jump into a, a life group. And if you're new to us and maybe you've been around for a few weeks or a few months and you kind of maybe have some questions about the church, how do I join the church? How, what's my next step? How do I serve? What's it look like following Jesus? Next Sunday is our a regular starting point gathering. We do that about every eight weeks or so. And uh, so next Sunday is it. And it'll be from 5 to 7 p.m. Got a dinner planned out. And we'd love to have you join us. If you could just register to let us know you're coming, we'll prepare everything to make sure that uh, it's going to be a great evening for you. But you can sign up at the Next Steps area before you leave. Or you can sign up through the website. Either way, just let us know that you're planning on being here. Now, Riley kind of, he, uh, he gave you a little teaser about who is going to be, who thinks that they can stand up to me on Super Bowl Sunday. But just to give you a little bit of a, of a little bit of a preview of what it might look like, check this out. Come Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to dunk on Brandon so bad. This is the Super Bowl bin. I don't have enough crayons to explain to you what this is all about. And can anybody tell me what's up with Ben Wood's hair? I treat my hair like I treat football. I got a pocket full of don't care. And these pockets are deep. You're just jealous. Two things I love. Taking a walk through the woods and walking all over Ben Woods. Brandon has multiple personalities. <laughs> Ain't none of them can preach. I keep hearing everybody say that Ben Woods is such a nice guy. Well, nice guys finish last. Yeah, basically, that's true. Just like Jesus taught. so ugly that when he was born, the doctor spanked his mom. Brandon Hatfield, one adequate individual, two very disappointed parents. Don't be ashamed of who you are, Ben. That's your parents' job. Young Brandon, wisdom has been chasing you, but you've always been faster. I'd like to say that I love Ben Wood's sermons, but I always plan a vacation when he fills in for me. Granted, you say you're a man of few words, but uh, I tell you what, if you could read, you'd have a bigger vocabulary.
Ben's kind of mean, guys. I, I don't even think we can be friends. I can live with that. <laughs> so... Anyways, if you made it through that and you're still paying attention, we're glad that you're here. Uh, am I on? Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, there's just much more of that to come, so just, <laughs> just set your expectations. Uh, we're, we're in this series we started last week, going through the book, well, just going through the first few chapters in the book of Genesis, and we're called In the Beginning. It's really what, what we see in the book of Genesis, especially the first few chapters is our origin story. How do we get to where we are today? You know, when we think about life and creation, men and women, how did, you know, God, how did, he, how did he put us here? What does it look like? And that's what we talked about last week. If you were here, you were with us. We talked about creation and how God created us on purpose. And today we're going to take a look at another kind of an origin story, but it's kind of where things go a little bit off the rails. It's, when you think about brokenness and you think about pain and sin, where does that start? How did that enter into our story? You know, it's a funny thing about family history. It, it affects and infects every part of you. you know, when you go to the doctor's office, that's the first question. One of the first questions they ask you is, tell me about your family history. Do you have any heart disease? Do you have any, is there cancer? Is there this? Is there that? You know, high blood pressure, diabetes, all that kind of stuff. They want to know what's in your DNA what, is, what, what makes you up? You know, and, and, and when we think about our origin, our family history as it relates to God's creation and how we have all, uh, how we have all, you know, how we got here today, we have to know that spiritually speaking, we're affected by what's happened long before we were here. You know, uh, we're impacted every day by the rings in our family tree. I heard about a guy that did some research on his ancestry. And he said, well, I, what I learned is that my family tree grew nuts and was pretty shady. <laughs> There's something that affects all of us. If, you, if you've ever found yourself feeling distant from God, if you've ever felt that, I imagine all of us have. If you've ever felt like you, you've been praying, you're talking to God, and your prayers, it just seems like, I don't know, this is just the way I've illustrated. Sometimes there's moments where I feel like I'm praying and my prayer hits the wall and just falls to the floor. If you've ever felt that, if you've ever felt so helpless, or if you felt hopeless, and you're wondering, does God even care? And you, you know that, I mean, in, in your brain, you know that God cares, but you're not feeling it in the moment. All of that you can trace right back to this moment that we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at the fall of humanity. Let me, let me define that real quickly. The fall of humanity, it's the temptation and the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And because of that disobedience, they lost unbroken relationship with God and unbridled peace with God and creation and with each other. We'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 8. This is what God's word said. It says that then the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to skip down to verse 15. 
It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely of any tree, you can eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will die. So there's the warning. God has put, he's established a boundary, there's a guardrail. God has put Adam in this perfect environment. Everything is wonderful. He can thrive there, but he has, he has established a boundary. This is the line that cannot be crossed. Now, people often ask, well, why did God do that in the first place? Why did God put a tree in the garden and then say, if you, if you eat it, you'll die? And the most obvious answer is that without the option to choose wrong, then we don't have free will. If you don't have that opportunity, without that tree, then Adam and Eve are just puppets. They don't have any choice. They're forced into always making the right choices. It was actually out of God's love that he provides them with free will. I know parents that struggle with this. It's hard. If, you've, if you're raising kids or you've ever raised kids, you know how crazy it is, how incredibly difficult and scary and terrifying. It's like every, everywhere you look, it's like I don't want to, at least this is the way I feel, I don't want to screw my kid up. I don't want to screw my kids up. I'm trying to protect them at all costs. I don't want them to run into things. And I think about things that I did when I was young and stupid. I don't want them to make the same mistakes. And I, don't, I look at other people and the dumb, stupid things that they do. And I say, I don't want them to make those kind of mistakes. Parenting's hard. It's one of the most challenging parts. How can I raise my kid to be a good person, to follow God and to make good choices? And I know a lot of parents that the way that they try to get that done is by sheltering their children. You know, it's kind of like it's the, we're the, we're the, you know, the knee pad generation, like the bubble wrap. We got to, no, you can't go outside. We got to eliminate all kinds of risk. You know, we don't want, don't, don't just stay in the house, you know, just, just stay right here. And we, we never do anything dangerous. We try to monitor everything and control their decision making because they're parenting out of fear. They don't want my kid to make the wrong decisions. And what happens to those kids? You've seen it. So many times they get out there in the world you know, after, after living that kind of overly sheltered life, they get out, they don't have any coping skills. And some of them get themselves into really bad situations and, and because they never had the free will and the guidance to be able to go through those formative years and, and to grow. And as an adult, they don't know how to function. So God, in his love, he gave Adam and Eve free will and he gave them boundaries. That here's the free will and, and here's what I'm telling you, don't eat the fruit of this tree or there'll be a consequence you will die so god created eve by putting adam to sleep and taking a rib from his side and and the bible tells us that god made eve from that rib up until that point adam's just kind of a lone ranger there's all the animals there every you know there's there's, there's a male and a female version for every animal there and and uh there's there's mates but there wasn't anyone for him but when Adam wakes up and he sees this partner that God made for him, here's his reaction. Verse 23 says, at last, at last, the man exclaimed, this one, she is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And now the man and his wife were both naked, 
but they felt no shame. They are quite literally living their best life. It cannot get any better than what they are experiencing right here. They're entirely comfortable. They are at total peace with God, at total peace with one another. Uh, they're in perfect community. They are fully operating in their purpose, and they fully know who they are. They know they were made in the image of God, and they know that they're accepted and they're loved. And what I love about this story is you notice what God did for Adam by making Eve. He didn't try to change Adam. He created someone to correspond with him. And we all want to be, be accepted for who we are. You know, we want to feel that, and we want to know that, that we're, we're loved as we are, and that's exactly what they have. It's a, very, it's a really basic human need that we, we have. Adam and Eve, they, they felt no shame. They were accepted. They were happy. They were living within the boundaries that God had given them. He said, everything's good. This is all very, very good, and I've put you here, and I've told you, don't do this. As long as you don't do that, everything's going to be great, and it was. And it's from that moment that things begin to go wrong. Because the freedom that Adam and Eve had, it's, it's a representative of our own freedom. We, we have, you and I, we have a choice in how we live and what we do and the choices that we make. And, and the obedience to the one boundary that God set for them is what led and what, it's what guaranteed all the other endless freedoms. But this boundary it's also connected to this deadly warning he promised he said if you eat this tree if you do this thing that i tell you not to do if you will do it you're going to die and that's the first time we hear of death because up until this point it's it's all life and it's and it's beginnings and goodness and freedom and no shame and no guilt and no sin but this this consequence it really reminds us that we're living in god's world this isn't ours it's his world. We're part of it. And what, we, what comes next is what we know as temptation. Genesis 3, verse 1, says that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? I don't know if you caught that. This is, this is the devil in the form of a serpent. He comes along, he's tempting Eve, and what does he say there? The very first thing the devil does in tempting Eve is he lies to her. Did God really say you couldn't eat of the fruit of any of the trees? It's an over-exaggeration. It's kind of got a hint of truth to it. Like he did say you couldn't eat of one of the trees, but it's, it's over-exaggerating. And Eve kind of corrects him. In verse 2, she says, well, of course, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. That's not exactly what God said either. You see that? There, there it is again. God said, you must not eat of the tree. He didn't say anything about touching it. And matter, matter of fact, Adam was there. He's supposed to tend to the garden. How is Adam supposed to tend to the garden if he can't touch that tree? So it, this is, again, we see this word of caution, I would say. This is the poison of religion. 
We've talked about this before, uh, but we see it on full display here. We get into real dangerous territory when we add to what God has said. When it's about, well, God says this plus this. That's where things begin to go wrong. Extra restrictions, extra rules. I know a lot of people who struggle with a tremendous amount of guilt and shame because they're tempted to sin. Uh, you know, you, you have a moment of temptation, and you have a, a, a thought that comes into your mind, and, and people, I'll have people come in and, and want to sit down and say, well, I need you to pray with me, I need to talk about this, I feel so guilty, I'm just torn up inside, I shouldn't be having thoughts like this, I feel so horrible, how could I have thought this, what's wrong with me, God must be ashamed with me that, that, I, would even, that I would even think like that. You've got to understand the, the distinction here, temptation is not sin. It is not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin that that thought entered into your mind. It's what you do with it. In fact, there's a great verse of Scripture in the New Testament. James 1 speaks directly to this issue. It says that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. But notice what it says here in verse 14. Now, temptation... It comes from our own desires. You know, there's, some, there's some little fleshy part of us that's like, oh, I really kind of like that shiny apple fruit or whatever. You know, I kind of want that. Whatever, it, that looks good, pleasing. You know, they entice us. It, it wants to drag us away. These desires then will give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It's not a sin to be tempted. I think as we grow and mature and things change in our life, the temptations may change. You know, what, what you were tempted with, you know, as a teenager may not be the things that you're tempted with as a 40-year-old or a 60-year-old. It, it just changes and because we change. But our problem many times is we confuse sin with mistakes. We use those words interchangeably. I hear a lot of people do that, sinning and making a mistake. But here's a definition of, of what a mistake is. A mistake is an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. It's kind of a, oh, man, I didn't know any better. You know, oh, you know, nobody's perfect. I wasn't thinking straight. How could I have done that? Oh, you know, made a mistake. That's not sin. That is not sin. It's a mistake. But what is, so what is sin? Then here's a definition. It's kind of churchy sounding. But sin is a transgression of divine law. That's kind of... That's got some $2 words in it right there. It's a transgression of divine law. Let me tell you my favorite definition of sin. Sin means I did it on purpose. That's what it is. I, I threw myself headfirst into this. Adam and Eve, they knew what God said. They knew this was the instruction. They knew the boundary was in place. And Satan tempts Eve even more. And he says this. He says, oh, you know, did he, first he over-exaggerates. Did God say that you couldn't eat of any, any of the fruit? She says, no, no, no. He said, I can't eat of that one. And, we, and I can't touch it either. And then he comes back and he says, oh, you won't die. No, 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 no. That, that's not going to happen. He says, God knows. Here's, here's the problem. Here's the twist. God knows that if you eat the fruit, then your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And then you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. So, oh, what's he saying? God's holding out on you. You know, this is pretty good where you are, but there's something even better. Can't you see? 
This will be so much better. Not, not much has changed since that time. The first thing the devil does to get her uh, to, to be tempted to sin is to get her to question what God actually said. Did God really say you couldn't eat any of the fruit? Then he minimizes the consequences. He says, oh, nothing bad is going to happen to you. You're not going to die. It'll be fine. There, no, this is not going to hurt anybody. This is not going to hurt anybody at all. This will be fine. And then comes the real gut punch. He says, this is what is really happening. Is there something else that you can have? And it'll be good. God's keeping it from you. He doesn't want you to have it. But it's going to be great. There's just something that if you just give it a shot, you'll love it. Isn't that exactly the way it works today? The truth is, this is the truth. Adam and Eve had everything. They had everything. It was a perfect life. In perfect community. They were fully loved, fully accepted, no shame, no guilt, nothing. Life could not have been, literally, could not have been any better for them. And the devil made them believe that there was something else to be had. Verse 6 says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Whenever you feel broken and, and hopeless and far from God, it's traced back right to that moment. That's where it started. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Notice exactly what happens. They sin immediate. You know, Satan promised, oh, this will be so great, you'll love it. Instead, immediate regret. Immediate shame. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they uh, sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Sin means, I did it on purpose. I knew what I was doing, and I did it. I knew that God said not to do it, and I did it anyway. That's sin. I was meeting with a pastor friend this past week, and he, he said something I really, I really thought was right on the money. It's just one of those quotes that kind of came out, and I said, oh, I've got to write that down. He said, you know what our, our problem is? Was we fear God in public, but we're fearless of Him in private. I thought about it, that's true. Like, you know, in, out in public, boy, I'm going to be careful. I want to watch what you know, people see and all that. I fear God publicly, but I'm fearless of Him in private. I did it on purpose. That's in our family history, ladies and gentlemen. That's your 23andMe, your ancestry.com. It, this is where it goes. And ever since this moment, we have had a natural inclination towards sin. It's, it's in our DNA. You can't escape it. It's just part of who you are. And, and that's the really bad news today is you have a sinful condition. Some people call it a desire or a nature towards sinning. There's just something inside you and me. There's just something inside us that knows right from wrong. We know it. Even if no one's ever told us, you can sense like, mm, that, that's right and that's wrong. And there's something in you and me that says, I think I'm going to try the wrong thing. I think, I think I'm going to try that. And we just can't help but feel like there's something shiny over there that looks great. And I know it's not right. And I probably know it's not good for me. But I'm going to go for it anyway. What's the worst that could happen? And the truth is, lives are destroyed in those moments. People's lives are wrecked right there when they say, ah, we'll give it a shot. How bad can it possibly be? And we slide farther and farther away from God, and we slide further away from peace and wholeness because we've taken the bait. I remember hearing Bob Russell say, 
years ago. He said, Satan knows just how to bait a hook. They eat the fruit, Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. It's immediate that their eyes are open. They see themselves naked. And immediately, immediately that feeling of harmony is gone. The perfect, the, the perfect situation that they had, the acceptance is gone. The order that God had set, the beauty was tarnished, and they knew it. They knew it immediately. The shame, uh, well, the unashamed feeling was gone, and uh, they, they couldn't even savor its last moments. It's just gone, and they somehow no longer felt accepted. So now their life is in their own hands. So what are we going to do about it? So they're making a plan. What are we going to do? How can we help this? So they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. And we, we always think that they made like, and you know, you see in like uh, paintings and things, it looks like they made underwear or something like that to kind of cover, to cover themselves up. But honestly, I think, I believe that they used the leaves to cover themselves completely, faces and all. I think they covered themselves their entire body because that's what shame does. They didn't want to be seen. It wasn't that they didn't want their private areas to be seen. I don't think they wanted to be seen at all. They were hiding. And that's the Bible says, that they were hiding from God. They were trying to just fade into the background of the garden to just disappear so that they wouldn't have to face the Lord. And we have been doing the same thing for years. You and I, we do that. We've been searching for a way to cover up our shame. We've been looking for an artificial way to be comfortable with ourselves. You know, I don't know who I am, and I'm trying to figure that out, and so we try to pursue this or try this thing, or maybe this is who I am. Maybe I should, and we see that more and more in our culture. We're trying to find peace with our world and with each other and with God, and we've been looking for ways to be accepted. So some of us, maybe, maybe how the way we try to get that is we go work 80 hours a week, and we neglect our families, but we're doing it because we're trying to be accepted. Some of us, maybe we, we, we veg out on television instead of actually facing life. Some of us might overeat or we undereat. We're trying to, to cope. Some of us might pretend that everything's okay, even though there's this deep, gnawing pain inside of us from our own striving. And we know that nothing we do is ever going to be enough. We know it, but we keep doing and we keep doing the things, and we know it's it's just it's not scratching the itch. How can we be reconciled again? If God is serious about restoring us, this is what we talked about last week. You, you are a restored ruler. God is in the process of restoring you. What's the solution? There has to be a sacrifice. There had to be a death. God said, you eat of the fruit, you will die. And in Genesis, God killed an animal and he made clothes for them out of the fur. And in many ways, that was a foreshadowing of what was going to come. And we know that sometime later that Jesus would hang naked on a cross in a most shameful way, and he would die for our sins. He would take all of that on himself. He would be in the position of shame. He would be in the position of consequence and death, taking all of the sin on the world on himself so that we could be restored. We need a covering we need a covering, but nothing in the world is going to get it done. There's no fig leaves. I mean, everything that we try is like fig leaves. You think about that. Think about how ridiculous that must have felt for them to come over, to grab these little leaves, these little things that are falling apart in their hands. You know, every time they try to sew it, it's, you know, tied, it just rips and rips and rips. It's a, it's a, it's a, 
I mean, just a frustrating process to try to, try to make something that's going to cover me up all the way that, so that God won't see me because I feel so ashamed of myself right now. We do the same thing. It just takes on different forms. We need this covering. And here's, here's the good news is when we accept Jesus Christ, he is our covering. Scripture talks about that. And we'll be, we're clothed with Christ. It's kind of like we put, we put him on. We no longer have to hide. 1 Peter 2 tells us that Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Because he suffered, you don't have to suffer. Because he took the sin on. He took it from us. It's this great exchange. It's totally unfair. Totally unfair. But he did that for you and he did it for me. It's, it's through Jesus that we find our way home to acceptance. It's through him, all those things that we're craving, everything that we're chasing. He already loves us. He already loves you. He's already pursuing you. You don't have to try to generate God's love. You don't have to try to perform so that hopefully he'll be happy. He already loves you. You don't have to put on any fig leaves to get his attention. And there's nothing that we have to do but just accept him. Just accept him. He's done all the work. It's kind of a sad story, really. When you look at Genesis 1, everything's so good. Everything's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. You look at Genesis 2, okay, there's, there's man and Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and it's good, and they've got perfect relationship, and oh, wow, this is great life. And it just doesn't take long at all. Genesis 3, everything, the wheels come off. That's exactly how our life is. How many times are we going through, and it's like, oh, things are going well. Things are going well. Well, that didn't last very long. It just seems like we end up in, in these situations and scenarios where it's like, why, why, does it, why does life have to be so hard? Megan and I talk about that every once in a while. It's like, why does everything have to be so difficult? You know, one of the consequences, if you read, and I would encourage you to go home, because we won't have time to cover all this stuff. Uh, we have to move on next week. But I'd encourage you to go home and read Genesis 3. One of the, one, a couple of the... Uh, consequences of their sin he tells Eve he says you're going to have pain in childbirth ladies you've been through that again that's that's a, that's the family history that's a result of the fall and he says to Adam you're going to have to work the ground and everything's going to work against you he says, you're going to go out there. To, you think about going out if you ever have a garden or whatever. Why is it that you, it's so frustrating. You're trying to grow good crops, and, and everything wants to destroy it. There's weeds and thorns and animals that come in. And, you know, you just, I, I, how many times we've planted tomato plants? It's like, I think it just needs one more day. And you go out, and it's gone. <laughs> That's happened to me over and over and over. It's a result of the fall. It's in there. Genesis 3. Go home and read it. He says to Adam, you're going to work the ground, but you're going to work, everything's going to work against you. Why does life have to be so frustrating? It's because of sin. That's where it came from. But the answer to that, the, the solution, the good news is that Jesus has provided a way for us to be forgiven. And now we know that there's a life to come. That this life is frustrating. This life is difficult. But on the other side, we're going to be restored forever. 
That's the good news. If you need to do that today, talk to somebody. I'm going to be here at the front of the stage in just a moment. We'll have staff and volunteers in the, in the lobby, out in the next steps area. But uh, I just encourage you, if you're not walking with Jesus today, don't leave here until you've talked about that with somebody and prayed about it. But let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your goodness. In the, in the middle of these lives that we're living, it's, there's so much that, that just seems like it's fighting against us. And I know, Lord, that, that there is spiritual forces at work and there are things that want, there, there are enemies that want to tempt us, that want to drag us away from what you've called us to. But even more than that, there's just the, the, the mundaneness of life. There's the frustration. There's just when things don't work the way that we had hoped or had planned. And in those moments, my, my prayer for, for, for people in this room right now, I, I know that some of us, that's where we are. We are frustrated and we are angry because life is just not going right. Would you gently remind us that we're, we may face these struggles, we may face these trials, we're going we're gonna to fight against these elements in our life, but that you are bigger and over them. That you have promised that, that all things, all things are going to work for good for those of us who love you. So remind us of that today. Help us to hang on to that purpose and help us to continue to seek you and follow you faithfully. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. We come before you with our hands empty. We bring nothing. There's nothing we could do, but we give you our lives, and I pray that you would forgive us, restore us, set us right once again. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.